for today. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, this is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with your forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. morning. So we threw you off with a little Jeremiah reading this morning. Uh, If you've been around, you know we've been in Deuteronomy all summer, and we're looking at this theme of covenant. What does it mean to be in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe? And we're coming to the home stretch. Um, We have today, and then next week we're wrapping up this series in Deuteronomy. Um, But I actually, today is sort of, um, I hadn't planned this sermon when I laid this out. And as we've been in this summer series, I've been having dialogue with some of you through email and just in person, and people asking certain questions about how this all fits together. So I thought, let's just take a whole week and talk about something. And what I want to talk about today is, is really, we've been talking about the old covenant, right? Moses and the people of Israel, and I'm making these applications from Deuteronomy to our lives today. And so I'm getting these questions like, how do these covenants, like that's old covenant, but we're in the new covenant. And how do those covenants relate to one another? What, what's the relevance of something that was said in Deuteronomy to my life today? Where's the, where's the consistency? Where's their difference? And so um, those are really kind of important conversations. So I thought we would just take a week and I want to try to help us understand a bit of like, how does this all fit together? How do these covenants throughout history, particularly the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant, how do they fit together? So this is going to be a little different today. And I'll just warn you out up front, I'm asking a lot from you this morning. I know it's like late August and you're, you're not bringing your A-game to church necessarily, but today... You're going to have to bring your A game, okay? We're going to be thinking. I'm going to go a little long today. Um, but this is, I think, I think you will find it very interesting, and you will find it actually incredibly relevant to our lives, all right? So I want to talk about it. how do we fit all this together? What is the relevance of these Old Testament passages for our lives today? Raise your hand if you're in for this. It's like 60%. That's, no, that's great. I'll take 60. I mean, gosh. If you remember half of what I said by Wednesday, I'll be happy. This is fantastic. All right. If you don't know the story of the Bible, let me give it to you real quickly. Okay. Um, here's the timeline of God's, God's world. Right? Uh, the story breaks down to these beautiful movements of God. First, you have uh, creation. 
God creates this beautiful world, and he creates uh, humanity to rule over it. Uh, That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then, of course, you have the fall beginning in Genesis 3, and sin enters the world, and things get pretty bad pretty quickly. And Genesis 3 through 11 is just this broken chain of downward spiraling. But then, beginning in Genesis 12, um, you get God's plan of redemption. And really, that's what the rest of Scripture is all about, is this God who comes to his broken world, continues to pursue his people, and has this plan of redemption. So that plan, as I said, begins with uh, Abraham, right? Uh, Roughly 2000 BC. He calls this man and says, hey, you and me and your family, we're going on a journey together. And I'm going to work some redemption in this world, and I'm going to do it through your family. I'm going to bless all the nations through your family and your descendants, right? So then 500 years roughly later, um, he calls Moses and Abraham's descendants are in Egypt, right? And this is where we've been in Deuteronomy. And he rescues them from Egypt and and forms a covenant with Abraham's descendants. Uh, Then, of course, um, 1,500 years later, Jesus himself comes on the scene and we and amazing things happen there. We get a new covenant. And we are looking still forward to um, Jesus coming again. This is not the second. This is the same Jesus as Jesus 1. But we have redemption 2.0, or we could call it the renewal, the restoration, the consummation of all things. This is the return of the king, right? The second coming of Jesus. This is the story of scripture. And what what I want to be talking about today is this. Um, From Moses to Jesus, essentially, you have what we call the old covenant. Maybe you could push that all the way back to Abraham, but essentially... Um, The book of Exodus through the rest of the Old Testament. You have the Old Covenant, and then, of course, with the coming of Jesus, um, you have the New Covenant that we're living in today until Christ returns. And the question that I want to ask today is, how do those covenants relate to one another? What's the relevance for things that are said in the Old Covenant for our lives today? What applies, what doesn't apply, and why? And I just want to tell you, these are not theoretical questions, okay? These are very relevant questions to our daily lives. And let me just kind of show you that. So I I overheard this conversation this week uh, from these two guys, John and Bob. May or may not have been a theoretical conversation, but I recorded the conversation for you. And they were wrestling and talking about stuff and wrestling with this issue of how do these covenants relate to each other. Um, So here's uh, the first thing I heard. Um, don't tell him I told you guys this stuff. But um, so John uh, says, so, so Bob doesn't give any money away. He keeps it all to himself. And John is concerned about this. And so he said, um, you know, you should be giving 10% of your money away to charitable causes. Because, and then he quotes from Deuteronomy that we've been in. Deuteronomy 26.12 says, set aside a tenth of all your produce to give to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Right? Using scripture, you should be doing this. Bob responds with, uh, yeah, but now that Jesus has come, we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. God isn't asking for obedience to commandments anymore. He's asking for faith. Okay, so different takes on what still applies today and why. Uh, Next one, this is very relevant. So turns out Bob is gay. Didn't tell you that at the beginning, but Bob is gay. John is concerned about this, okay? John says this to Bob. You need to pursue celibacy because Leviticus 20.13 says, if a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. Bob also knows Leviticus and he says, yeah, uh, but Leviticus 19.19 says, don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. And I noticed the shirt you're wearing is 60% (laughs) cotton and 40% polyester. 
right? So you're not applying the law. Why should I apply the law? Okay? Incredibly relevant question. I know I'm kind of making light, but these are deeply impactful questions. Uh, Last one. John says this, you know, I'm sad uh, that America seems to be losing its power and influence in the world lately. And Bob responds, well, if we would start obeying God as a nation again, we would gain that power and influence back because Deuteronomy 28.1 says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All right? So a conversation that they're having about the Old and New Covenant. How do these commandments or promises of the Old Covenant relate to our lives today? When do they apply? When don't they apply? And why? What is new about the New Covenant? What's different about it? Okay? And how should we think about all of this? Is this making sense? Yeah, this is relevant, right? Interesting stuff. All right, so um, what I want to do today is, is ask two questions. Where is there continuity between the covenants, and where is there discontinuity and change? Okay, that's what we're going to go through. Um, before we do that, I want to I tease out the old covenant a little bit more in some more detail that I think will be helpful as we answer those two questions. So here's what I think is, is helpful to know. As we read the old covenant, the promises, the commands, that not all the commands are of the same kind of thing. And, and seeing... Um, that reality is very helpful for us. So I'm going to be oversimplifying so much today, but I think it's, it'll get us sort of some basic thoughts. So God's Torah, right, his old covenant, that, that word Torah just means teachings, instructions. And really as you read the old covenant, his instructions fall into three basic categories of commands. So you have uh, what I would call moral commands, uh, and then you have ceremonial commands, uh, and then you have civil commands, right? And, and understanding the differences is really important. So let me tease these out for us, and then we'll answer those questions. So the moral commands, I would say, these are commands that simply reflect the moral fabric of the universe as God created it, okay? These are commands that are just hardwired into the principles of of creation as God made. They're a fundamental part of who God is and the kind of world that he created. All right? So, for instance, the Ten Commandments. Let's just look at the last five. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Do not covet. We looked at these in Deuteronomy 5 earlier this summer, right? I think these are fundamental moral commands that are simply built into the way the universe is supposed to work according to the creator who designed it. These were implicit, I would argue, in the very creation account. Like Genesis 1 and 2, these these commands would have applied to Adam and Eve. The difference is in the Mosaic Covenant, they're actually being made explicit. We're actually hearing what they actually are, but they were always present as part of God's world, okay? So those are the moral commands. You see a lot of those in the Old Covenant. We've seen those in Deuteronomy. But then you have um, this category of commands that I would call ceremonial commands that were given to the nation of Israel at the time. Uh, and, and there's a bunch of different kinds. You have the whole worship 
structure and system of Israel's life, right? To have priests that would minister at temples and to give animal sacrifices, right? To bring the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, all of these various sacrifices, the tithes, the offerings, the holy days, the festivals. This was all part of how God wanted Israel uh, to worship him. And there's all sorts of commands associated with those. We've read some of those. Um, You also have some of the ceremonial commands, I would say, have to do with God wanting to turn Israel into what I would call a peculiar people. Meaning, part of God's plan for Israel was, I just want you guys to look different than everybody else. I want you to smell different. I want you to taste different. I want you to look different. And so there's certain things I'm going to ask you to do that are just about you being plain old different. They're actually not moral. They're amoral, but they will set you apart as an an ethnic national entity from the rest of the nation. So most famously like circumcision. I want all your males to be circumcised. The kind of food you eat, the kosher laws that you keep, uh, your clothing that you wear. These are not necessarily moral things, but they're part of God wanting to create a peculiar people. All right? And then finally, you have these civil commands. And these are commands you find in the Old Covenant that have to do with the fact that Israel is a, God was forming a nation state, right? It was a, a political, a, an ethnic, an economic and judicial entity. They were an actual nation state. And so there were certain judicial laws, civil laws that existed for that nation state at that time. All right, you guys still with me? We're about like a fifth of the way done, so it's good. Um, So teasing out, um, being able to distinguish the difference between those laws is really helpful in understanding how the covenants relate. And what's tricky is when you read the old covenant, it's not like they put them in nice categories for you. It's not like chapter 1 through 3, here are the moral commandments of God. Chapter 4 through 6, here are the ceremonial. They're just kind of scattered throughout the old covenant. And then we have to kind of piece together and actually look at the new covenant, what it does and what it says to understand, okay, which, which laws fit where and why. All right, so that is all my lengthy introduction to this issue. And what I want to do for the rest of the time is, is ask these two questions between the old covenant and the new covenant. Simple questions. Uh, where is there continuity and consistency between these two covenants? Okay, where's the consistency? And then where is their discontinuity and change? Where is the new covenant fundamentally new and different from what went beyond, before it? All right, so let's start with that first question. Where's the continuity? And I just want to lay out my cards as I talk today. Um, my passion at this point in my life is actually towards number one. Um, and obviously number two is like, The gospel, that's the most important thing. Like, what's different about the gospel? But my particular heart and passion is to try to to help us see number one. And there's a couple reasons. First is, I think a lot of us who grew up in in the church in America grew up in churches that didn't do a good job of piecing this whole thing together for us. Right? So we grew up, it's like um, Old Testament. I kind of know these stories, but it's so wacky and weird and bizarre. I like Jesus, and so we'll just camp out on the New Testament, right? We'd, it's not like we were doing series in Ezekiel growing up, um, which happens at this church sometimes, right? Um, so I think we grew up in, a, in churches that didn't help us piece this well together, and so I, I want to help us do that. And then more to the point, um, 
I am observing a, a fresh movement in the evangelical church that is nothing new, but I see it happening in a, in a fresh way in the season. And it's, the sentiment is basically this. People who are, who are, who are Christians and saying, I, I want Jesus. Like I, I see Jesus. I like what I see. I want him, and I want to hold on to him. Um, but I would love to leave behind some of the other parts of Scripture. I'd love to just kind of slough that off. If I could pluck Jesus out of that scriptural context and hold on to Jesus and, and leave some of the other stuff. And there's a lot of people that are doing that. See, that's a great move to make. And I see that happening all over in the church in America. I read about it. I hear about it. I talk to people about it. And you, you might identify with that. I mean, undoubtedly, some of us are, are feeling that. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons why we're feeling that. I think there's a lot of cultural forces at work that are kind of shaping our assumptions that, that lead us um, to want to do that. Um, I think some of the, the social issues of our day uh, are, play a big part of that. I, I mentioned one of those about gender and marriage and sexuality. There's lots of current social issues that, that we're feeling that, that, that tap into this. I think the big one is is we're just living in a time where, where relativism is kind of, is king. This idea that there, you know, all these truths work. There is no one truth with a capital T. Certainly not one that you would have to believe in a way that could impact like your eternal destiny. Like there's these two potentials. Okay, that idea just in a modern American mind feels so wrong to us. Um, that it triggers all sorts of things when we read Scripture. I think science, um, and not science itself, but a purely scientific view of the universe. It says science answers everything. I love science, but I'm talking about a purely scientific view. I think that, that has, of course, uh, gained in our culture. And so that, we're just swimming in that cultural stuff. And in light of that... Um, we want to hold on to Jesus, but we, we look at other parts, like Paul. Paul says some kind of crazy things about, like, you know, who's chosen, who's not. That doesn't work. And then the Old Testament is just, it's awkward, it's weird, we don't relate to it. Or at worst, it's offensive or confusing. And so the move is, you know what, I, I want to hold on to Jesus. And I'm going to hold on to Jesus, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave this other stuff behind. Wouldn't that be a pure thing anyways? And I, in case you're wondering what, what I think about that, um, I just want to say I don't think that works in the end. And, and I don't think you can have Jesus without having the rest. And the reason I think that is because Jesus himself would not be had on those terms. He just wouldn't. I mean, you you read about Jesus, his whole sense of identity and calling and mission and purpose and worldview, that was all shaped by the Hebrew scriptures. And every time in the gospels that we have an instance of him interacting with the Old Testament, every time he, ha- he reveals a position that he has incredible deference and respect for the Old Testament, he considers it authoritative, he never ever contradicts it or calls it into question at any time, he sees it as the word of God. And so it would be a very strange move for us to say, I want Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. I just happen to have a very different view of the Old Testament than Jesus does. Do you feel the inconsistency of that? And I promise you that if we start to do that, we take Jesus and leave the others, I promise you over time, we will start to leave Jesus behind too. 
It is inevitable, or at least large portions of his teaching, because his teaching is so darn consistent with the rest of the scriptures. And so that's what I'm seeing, and I I feel it myself. I get it. I, I understand the dynamics that play into that. I feel them myself. Um, but my passion is to try to, to, to demonstrate the consistency from cover to cover of what I think is this amazing book, which is the Word of God. All right, so that was introduction number two. <laughs> so with that, let's talk about this first one. Where is there continuity and consistency? How do these things fit together in a way that, that they actually they do fit together? Uh, here's what I want to do. I see incredible consistency in continuity, Old and New Covenant, on the most two basic questions that we could ask. On this question, who is God? And this question, what does God desire from us? Um, Are there any more basic questions than that that we could need to know? Like, who is this God? What's he like? And what is he desiring in his people? All right, I think the answer is very consistent from cover to cover. This first one, who is God? Let me take you to the definitive passage in the Old Covenant. Um, this is the story of uh, Moses and God in the wilderness. Moses has been going through a hard time. Turns out the people are a little bit tough, and he's frustrated. He's tired, and he says, you know what, God? I need you to show me your glory. Like, I need to see a glimpse of who you really are, because this is, this is tough, and I need, I need to have some guarantees. Would you show me your glory? And uh, God says, yes, I will. And he, remember, he puts Moses in this little cleft, and God's glory passes by Moses. And God says, I will proclaim my name to you, meaning that I'll, I'll proclaim the essence of who I am. And this is the passage. It says, God passed in front of Moses, and he proclaimed this. This is God speaking to Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh, that's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the essence of who I am, God is saying. He goes on to say this. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. This is his revelation of himself. Now, a little little help on this second part. Um, in ancient culture, the third and fourth generation, those people are actually living together in the same house, okay? People are having babies at like 15. You stay with your parents and your grandparents. So these are all, this is, this is not like, oh, that was this guy I never met, you know, who lived in Montana somewhere. No, these are like, we all live together, right? We like, this is, there's influence from these generations on each other. But that to say, um, who is God? I think the old covenant answer is this. Well, there's two things we know about God. He is compassionate, he is gracious, and he is loving. And he's holy, and he is just, uh, and he deals with sin. And I think that is the same God we see from cover to cover in Scripture, from the creation account, right, to the call of Abraham, to the law, to Jesus and what Jesus says about who God is, to Paul, to Revelation. We get this God who's compassionate, gracious, and loving, and holy and just, and deals with sin. And and I'm saying this because I think some of us have this stereotype of the Old Testament, right? That like, um, you know, God is, in the Old Testament, God is just a God of of wrath and vengeance and anger and jealousy and and all of this stuff. And the God of the New Testament is is full of grace and love and mercy and and forgiveness. And the joke I always say is, is we kind of believe like God got soft in his old age. 
You know, like he was, you know, he started good and he just got tired. You know, he just kind of, he lightened up in, in, in that. And we look at, we read Jesus and think, ah, oh, I see Jesus and he's, ah, he's so beautiful with people and compassionate and meek and mild. And, um, and I'll just say, the more I read the Old Testament myself, the more I fall in love with the Yahweh that is presented there, who is so long-suffering and patient and gracious and faithful. And the more I read Jesus, the more I get uncomfortable with the things that he says, that, that challenge the way I live my life, challenge the way I think about life. And so I would encourage you, if you see this big disconnect between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, I would just encourage you, keep reading the Old Testament and pay attention to Yahweh and keep reading Jesus in the Gospels and pay attention to what he says. And I think if you do that, you will find that Yahweh and Jesus start to look eerily similar to one another, like really, really similar to one another. So that's the challenge. Now, I... I would acknowledge the Old Testament plays a louder chord on God's holiness. The New Testament plays a louder chord on God's grace. But I think you see the same God from cover to cover. All right, and then the second question, what does God desire from us? What is, in the end, what is God looking for in his people? Let me tell you what I think the answer is, and then I'll give you a couple passages. Here's what I think God from cover to cover is looking for. He is looking for faith in his people. He wants us to trust him. And he's looking for obedience in his people. He wants us to obey him. Some of us grew up singing the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way, right? He wants a people who trust him and who obey him. From cover to cover. So I want you to think about the old covenant for a second. Think about the Old Testament story. Just think about the story. What was God looking for in people? Think about the story of Abraham, okay? So God calls this guy and his family, right? Hey, I want you to leave everything you've known. Leave your country, and I want you to go to this unknown country. I'll tell you when you get there. And I'm going to bless your socks off. <laughs> you know, I'm going to make you into this amazing nation. I'm going to bless all the nations through your family. So come with me. He takes him out to the night sky. Abraham and his wife are beyond child-rearing years, right? Um, look at the stars. That's as many descendants as you guys are going to have. Abraham, walk before me. Be blameless. And then God gives them their son Isaac. And he says, now Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. What was God looking for in Abraham? I would say faith and obedience. Trust me, follow me, obey me. This journey of faith. Think about what God was doing with the nation of Israel. What we've been looking at in Deuteronomy. God sees Abraham's descendants, right? They're slaves in Egypt. God says, I've heard your cries. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take down Pharaoh. He says to Moses, you're the one who's going to do it. Moses is like, I don't think I should. He's like, no, you're going to do it, right? He leads them out of slavery. He brings them into the wilderness. There's no food. There's no water. He says, don't worry, I'll provide. I'll feed you. I'll give you water. I'll clothe you. He forms a covenant with them at Sinai. Here's the way I want you to live your life. Here are my commandments. What was he looking for in Israel? Faith and obedience. It was a journey of trust me and obey me, right? In the Old Covenant, the greatest commandment, of course, is Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Next verse. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
Um, and I say that, all of that, because I think it's easy to have this stereotyped view of the Old Testament, which is, you know, the Old Testament is just about all these commandments and regulations, and it was just about this external conformity to these laws that were written somewhere. And I just want to say, actually, that was never what God was asking for from his people. That's never what he was asking for. He was always asking for faith and obedience from the heart, right? Deuteronomy 6, these commandments are to be on your hearts. Love me with all your heart all your soul, all your strength. Now, it's certainly true that by Jesus' time, first century Judaism had become an external religion, but that's not, never was God's intention. And I think, to go to the new covenant, many of us, I would argue, have a stereotype of the new covenant, that it's actually, now that we're in the new covenant, it's not about commandments anymore, right? Now it's about the heart. It's about God changing the heart. It's, it's, about, it's about faith. It's not really about obedience now. It's about faith. And I want to just show you two passages in the New Testament that have really shaped my understanding of, of Scripture. All right? Um, these are fascinating. This is, uh, these are both from Paul. Uh, and, you know, Paul has a lot to say about how the New Covenant um, supersedes the Old Covenant. You guys still with me? Okay. All right. So here's the first one. Galatians 5, 6. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. For in Christ Jesus, now that we're in Christ, now that we're in the new covenant, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you're not. It doesn't matter anymore. You know what? The only thing that counts is what? Anybody know it? Faith expressing itself through love. That phrase is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. What counts now is circumcision. It doesn't matter what counts is faith that it gets expressed in a loving life, okay? I think we're all like, yep, that's what I would have expected, something like that. Same Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, neither circumcision, just straight out of the book, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is keeping God's commands. <laughs> Shoot! <laughs> that's exactly what it says. So apparently, there are certain commands like circumcision that don't matter at all. And apparently, there are some commands that still really matter. In fact, that's what God wants. I mean, Jesus himself famously says, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commandments, right? So we have this stereotype of the Old Testament. It's just about external obedience in the New Testament. Ah, it's just about faith. And I want to say, actually, I think from cover to cover, what God has always wanted is people who trust him and obey. There's a phrase in Romans. Axios, guys, you'll learn this one. Verse 5 and the second to last verse in Romans. It bookends with this phrase. Here's the phrase that Paul uses. The obedience of faith. Paul, at the beginning of this letter, says, God has called me to preach to the nations the obedience of faith. And then he goes on and says, to the glory of God, so that all the nations might have the obedience of faith. And what that phrase means, I think, is is when you trust God, and you really trust him, and then you start living accordingly, that is the obedience of faith. And I'm suggesting that is what God has wanted from his people from cover to to cover. He wants a people who love him with their hearts. He wants a people who walk in the 
obedience of faith, trust me, and then live as though you trust me. Okay? So that is the continuity between the covenants. And let me just pause. We're like three-fourths of the way done. Um, I want you just to sit with what I've just said. And how does that like square with what you've had? If, if you and I could have coffee this week and you could give me a piece of your mind right? or ask me questions about what I've suggested, what, like what would you want to say? Um, how, is this, how does this sit? Just kind of sit with that for a second. And then we'll move on to the second. And really this is, <laughs> this is the most important of all, but I've focused on that um, for the reasons I've already said. But let's move on and ask the question, okay, so there's the consistency from cover to cover. But what is, I mean, it is a new covenant. We we read from Jeremiah, it won't be like the old covenant. So what is new? What is the gospel after all? That's that's the most important thing. So what is it? So if we just sum up what we've talked about in the old covenant, it would be this. The old covenant beautifully lays out a life that God wants for his people. It does that beautifully. The law is beautiful and good. Both covenants say that. But there is a profound inadequacy to the old covenant. And here it is. There's nothing in the law itself that can actually get inside of me and transform my heart from the inside out so that I actually begin to start living like that. And it's nice to see the way I'm supposed to live. But if that doesn't help me get there, that is a very inadequate covenant. And the other thing that's inadequate is when I fail, and obviously I will fail again and again, there's nothing in the old covenant that gives me this deep assurance that I have a forgiveness that is permanent, that is guaranteed, that is once and for all. I don't have this assurance that I stand, I'm in in perfect standing with God. All I know is there's these animal sacrifices and I have to keep giving them. And I'm kind of wondering, does that that actually work? Like, does that work? So that's that's the inadequacy. So what is the new covenant all about? Well, it's really not about new ideas new or, or new concepts. The, the, the new covenant is about a person. <laughs> this is what is new about the new covenant. It is the sending of God's son, Jesus Christ. And it is the sending of God's spirit to his people. This is the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of God's son and God's spirit. All right, so if you don't know what the gospel is, here it is in 30 seconds, okay? This God who is holy and yet loving and merciful, he, he sees this broken reality. And what he does in the good news is he sends his son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is to perfectly obey and fulfill his law. Jesus does that. And not only that, but he sends his son then to die for us on our behalf and to offer his life for ours and offer a a sacrifice that is perfect. It is the very son of God. It is complete. It is once and for all. It's not like the animal sacrifices that have to be offered day after day after day. That when we receive this sacrifice and put our faith in that sacrifice, we know that we are forever declared not guilty. We are forever declared loved and accepted. There's no condemnation forever. He does for us what we could not do 
for ourselves. That is the good news. Amen? Okay? And that's only half of the good news. The other half of the good news is this. God doesn't just send his son, but God sends his spirit. That was the Jeremiah passage. He sends his spirit now not to do for us, but to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, which is to create faith in us and to create an obedience that comes from the heart to begin to transform us from the inside out so that we begin to trust God and we begin to actually obey him. Not perfectly in this life. That waits for Jesus 2.0, right? But progressively, as we go, we have the power of the Spirit. So now we don't just have this description of the life we're supposed to live. We have a person inside of us, changing us, shaping us, transforming us, so that, enabling us so that we can actually do the very thing that we long to do and that God longs for us to do so that we can walk in the obedience of faith. So that is the gospel, is the gospel of God's Son and His Spirit, now given to the nations, not just to Israel, right, but to men and women from every tribe, tongue, language, nation. All right, so just to, to, to go back to, our, to this, these um, categories. So what continues and what is gone? Well, let's start from the bottom up. Well, then the civil commands of Israel uh, don't apply in the same way anymore. The the church is not a political, ethnic, judicial entity, right? We are a multi-ethnic, multinational, crossing all sorts of borders. The church is a different thing than ancient Israel was. So those laws don't apply to us in the same way. They still may be very um, good advice for nations in terms of what will lead to a just society, but they don't apply to us in the same way. The ceremonial laws, Paul is so clear on this, they are rendered obsolete, right? The priests and the temple and the, and, the, and the animal sacrifices, Jesus fulfills all of that. Jesus is our high priest. We sang about that at the beginning of the service, a great high priest. Um, Jesus is also our sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. And, and, and because of his sacrifice, we are now the temple of God. So we don't worship that way anyway. We, we worship in spirit and in truth wherever we go. Jesus says, true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. Uh, And those peculiar commands, right, to to the ceremonial laws, circumcision, kosher laws, clothing, those, that was about distinguishing Israel as a nation. Those don't apply to us. Paul is so clear on that. Don't go back to those old ways. Circumcision doesn't matter anymore. Faith expressed itself through love. Obeying God's commandments, that's what matters. And so that's what I would say. That first category, though, Those commands in the Old Covenant that simply reflect the moral universe that God has made, well, of course those still apply today. (laughs) Of course those are relevant. Those are are simply the way God has has wired the universe. And of course he wants us to obey those. Um, The big difference is we're we're now not, not approaching those as a way of trying to gain favor with God. We have that in Christ, right? We already have his favor. And we don't do that in our own strength. We now have the Spirit living in us. So we approach them very differently. But of course they still apply. All right, you've made it. You've done a really good job. I'm going to leave you with two cute pictures, okay? So I, I want to I just end by uh, asking the question, you know, how do, we, how do we live within the gospel? How do we live within the new covenant in light of the things I've just shared? And uh, I've shared this, this metaphor before. It comes from John Piper. It's super helpful for me. Um, here's what he says. 
He compares a ladder and a, and a railroad track, okay? So um, I want you to imagine a ladder. You're at the bottom of it. You're looking up. And really, life in the Old Covenant was kind of like this. And so if you imagine those rails are kind of God's Torah, his instructions, and each of the, the rings are, you know, one of God's commandments. Um, do not steal. Do not covet, right? Whatever. Uh, be circumcised. All these, all these different commandments. And um, the, the inadequacy of of the old covenant was to, the temptation would be to look at it like this and say, I know there's a holy God up there somewhere. You know, and maybe, maybe if I can climb this ladder, maybe I can find him and maybe I can have his approval and his blessing on my life. And so what you do is you just kind of roll up your sleeves and you're like, okay, I'm going to do the best I can. And you, in your own strength, you just start climbing this ladder, hoping that God's approval is up there somewhere. And it's tiring and it's exhausting. Of course, sometimes you mess up a commandment, you fall back down. And when you do, um, you're not really sure where you stand with God because there's no real solution to your sin that feels like permanent and, and 100% guaranteed. And so you're just, you just keep trying, but you, you don't really know where you stand with God, but you've got to just keep trying. That's kind, of the, that's kind of life under the old covenant. Uh, Piper, I think I love this. He says, but in the new covenant, it's like, it's like God has taken that ladder that we're trying to climb, and he's just slammed it down onto the ground, and he's turned it into a railroad track, all right? So now you have the tines that are these individual commandments, and some of the tines are gone now. Circumcision, that one's gone, right? Kosher laws, that one's gone. Some of them still remain. But now this is no longer a ladder to try to climb. This is simply God just laying out, this is the life that I, I have for you. This is life that will be flourishing and good for you. This is life that is lived within the design of the universe that I have created. And now you're on this freight train, okay? And Christ is there. And now you live, you are in Christ. And so now you have God's 100% approval because you've put your faith in Jesus. God looks at you. He says, when I look at you, I look at you the same way I look at my son, Jesus, as, as righteous, as approved, as loved, as beloved. And so now we're not climbing for God's approval. Now we're just living from his approval. I've got his approval. And now I get to step into this life that God has for me. And, and God is in the train, right? God the Father. You're not, he's not out in the distance somewhere to, to be climbed up to. No, he's with me. And the engine of this train is the Holy Spirit, right? And so you're not trying to do this in your own strength and roll up your sleeves. No, I'm trying to cooperate. I'm trying to yield. I'm trying to put off the old and put on the new in the power of the Spirit. It's a completely different way of experiencing God's instruction. I'm living from approval in the power of the Spirit. And this is actually just a description of a life that I most long to live. This is the person that God is inviting me into every day of my life. I want to leave you with one of the most famous descriptions of the new covenant of all, Ephesians 2. Here's what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This life is a gift. God saves you by his grace. It comes through faith. And then he goes on to say this, for we are God's handiwork, God's creations, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's recreating me. 
He, he recreated me when I became a Christian. He continues through his spirit to recreate me. He has laid out this life for me. He has prepared these things in advance that I can now walk into them, knowing that I'm loved, not wondering if I'm loved, knowing that I'm forgiven and helped along the way by his spirit. That is what new covenant faith looks like and feels like. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we sit with these, these ideas, these are big ideas about your grand story and how what you've been up to through the centuries all comes together and fits together, Lord. Would you help us to understand better your, your plans and your purposes for us? Today, as, as we end on the new covenant, I pray particularly that we might live within the new covenant, that we might live by faith, not by works, that we might experience your spirit shaping our hearts and minds, empowering us to live the lives that you're inviting us into. That we might, as we do that, fulfill the call of Abraham to be a blessing to all the people around us, to our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors, that they too might experience your goodness and your grace given to us in Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would uh, empower that in us this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.